Hey, this is Rod the Nuts Micaiah, and you are listening to You Forgot One. Today on You Forgot One, we are diving into 1997, the fear of a dystopian future, too much technology, or maybe a guy who just doesn't like being famous. That's right, we're talking about Radiohead's OK Computer. Micaiah, give us your thoughts on maybe Radiohead's most famous work. Yeah, I've been thinking about this album a lot leading up to this discussion um, and thinking a, a lot about how people have discussed it. Was it almost 25 years now? You know, it's, I guess, because of the title and because of the timing, it's always been kind of looked at as this albums like really talking about the future and technology and the the downfalls of technology and all that kind of stuff. But when you listen to the songs and you break them down, you separate them from the title, OK Computer, that's not really what's going on, I don't think. Uh, Apart from Fitter Happier, which we'll have to talk more about as we get into it, I I don't think that this is, is that album. And Radiohead, I think, is the kind of band where people tend to do that a lot. I think Kid A also, there's a lot of kind of stuff just like projected, you know, onto that album. And that's always been sometimes like a barrier for me when when albums like this, it's always hard to get into an album when a large group of people have already decided what it is, what it means to culture, and that it is like definitively great. Um, Like I have this problem with like Nevermind by Nirvana. It's just like, uh okay well you guys have already made your mind up on that and i wasn't a part of that in 1991 i was a baby so like i guess i don't have an in for that like kid a i always kind of had a trouble getting into that too because they're like oh this is all about like the digital era and all this kind of stuff and clones and whatever you know it's just like okay that seems some of that seems a little far-fetched but yeah it's just like oh so well if, if it's just an album it's just like this symbol like a symbol for internet era like the death of the cd and what music is going to be in the future well i i don't like that um so i guess i'll just keep my distance from that album with okay computer with all the stuff that people have always said about it uh has never been much of a barrier for me this is the first radiohead album i got into and i fell really hard for it i loved it right away yeah i i, I dig i i got the cd when i was in high school and listened to it frequently and I, I've I've said for years that this is my favorite Radiohead album, um, even though I know that the cooler answer is is Kid A. Uh, this has always been my go-to. Yeah, this is one of those albums where the ten-year age difference between us comes out because I was in high school when Kid A came out. I can distinctly remember watching the Grammys uh, and being furious that Bob Dylan won album of the year ahead Uh of OK Computer. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I love this album from the get-go. But I do think if you didn't live through the kind of mid to late 90s, it's easy to forget just how far technology advanced. So for someone like me, my parents bought the first home computer that we had when I was in fifth grade. It was not cheap. 
and my phone is about a hundred times more powerful than that computer was. Right. And then by the time this album had come out, um, you know, everyone had computers in their house, everyone had modems, and those are the old dial-up internet modems, mm-hmm. and AOL was a thing. And so, you know, people were talking on AOL Instant Messenger. Like, it was a radically different world, essentially, over the course of four years because of technology. And along with that came all of the fears of technology, all of the fears of kind of the potential dystopian future, the 1984, the big brother, the fear of the police state and how technology would be used to enslave us. There was the impending fear of Y2K. And it's strange to talk about it now or to think about it now because all of that seems so kind of foolish and so kind of trapped in a time. But that is is the time that OK Computer came out in. I don't know that all that fear of technology was something that people read into the album. I do think that that was very intentional. And even in the ways, you know, you have to remember this is also uh, during a period where uh, MTV was, was a huge deal. And Radiohead, even going back to the bins, they had a habit of uh, asking really great directors to do really incredible videos for their songs. And so... They still do. They have Paul Thomas Anderson doing their videos now. Yeah, but... Some of the videos that accompanied the the songs in the bins and then on OK Computer as well, very much kind of in this direction. I'm thinking particularly about uh, the video for Karma Police, where, you know, Tom York's essentially in the back seat, you know, kind of mumbling through the lyrics to the song as, you know, a a car seemingly is driving itself out out into the distance um think about in no surprises essentially he's uh kind of just surrounded in in what what looks to be some kind of uh you know helmet that is slowly filling up with water and kind of drowning him like there there was a darkness that was over this period of time but then also over radiohead and I, i think it's also important to remember that this album was written and recorded just two and a half years removed from Kurt Cobain's suicide. And one of the things that I think it's easy to forget um, now is for those of us who are old enough to remember his suicide and that day where, you know, MTV news, you know, did not, you know, did nothing but 24 hour coverage of his suicide. And then everyone gathered together at the park in Seattle and Courtney reading his suicide note aloud for everyone. And hearing in Kurt Cobain, this person who was so uneasy with fame and celebrity and notoriety that that essentially the thing that he had wanted to do and wanted to be became not at all what he had wanted and what and what he thought it would be. And it, as I think back on our REM episode, I think it's one of the things that Michael Stipe figured out very early on in his career how to make that work for him that that he knew very early that there was a, an amount he was comfortable with and an amount he wasn't comfortable with and i think he made peace with that very early on in his career it's easy to forget that though pablo honey did have creep on it that that creep was this eventually this big single uh, it took almost 2 years for creep to really become a, a big single and so there wasn't a whole lot of 
expectation around the bins when it came out. And I think the bins is maybe uh, kind of the dark horse favorite for a lot of Radiohead fans um, because it is, it is a phenomenal album, but it, it doesn't often get the same, same amount of kind of critical acclaim that OK Computer or Kid A does. And so by the time OK Computer came out, Radiohead, they were this group that everyone expected a great deal from, but they, they, you know, it wasn't this massive, it wasn't this massive level of fame, or, or at least it, it, it wasn't to the degree that it became almost immediately after the release of this album. And so there's a great documentary um, about Radiohead being on the tour in support of OK Computer. And essentially, you, you basically get to watch Tom York's growing uncomfortable, uh, you know, discomfort with their celebrity and the access. And so I think it's also in, in the aftermath of OK Computer, it's also just as easy to, I think, read some of that discomfort and introversion into the lyrical content of OK Computer. And I certainly think, think some of that is there. Uh, I think there's also just the the general kind of alternative music and in rock lyricist thing of just being misunderstood and and not being truly seen or heard. And I think you hear that in OK Computer. So I don't think OK Computer has to be just one thing, but I certainly think it is a lot of those things. That that there is clearly an element of technology, the good and the bad and the ugly that comes with technology. The the fear of what a, a potential dystopian future might be a potential police state. What's going to happen now is we all get used to being essentially observed all the time. And even in the late nineties, there was a degree of observation and, and kind of cameras that were, were spreading around England much earlier than in most U S cities. So there were elements of that, that I think were on the forefront of, kind of British minds long before they were on the minds of, of Americans. And so there are so many of those things on OK Computer, but more than anything else, OK Computer is an album that just rocks. Like there are great songs on OK Computer, arguably some of the best alternative music that come out in the 90s are featured on this album. And so for an album that really is is I think probably the perfect combination of here is an album that works that the the whole is more than the sum of its parts, but this is also an album that produced five singles for them and and so I think you you combine those things together in all of the awards and acclaim that it won them and the fan base that it won them, and then they did maybe the thing that has endeared them to rock critics and to music fans and to their fans more than anything else, they took all of the energy and all of the expectation and all of the critical expectation that was on them after, you know, so the bins is this rocking album. Okay. Computer is this kind of rocking album with this really kind of lofty idea you know, that, that some consider it a concept album. I don't, but I, but I do think there are elements of it being a concept album. And then they take all of that energy and this expectation that people have for them to release what was supposed to be in 2000, the great brand new, you know, end all be all rock album. And they release Kid A. 
in in Kid A, I, I I still think to this day, Kid A might be the strangest album to ever debut at number one on the Billboard charts. And the overwhelming majority of people who got this album the week it came out were left with more questions than answers. That's one thing I learned this week is because I knew when OK Computer came out, it was just instant classic. And I assumed that it was the same with Kid A because when it came out, I was nine or 10. But looking at the original reviews, most people hated it. And then that, they were just really disappointed, or like, ugh, like it's electronic, which is whack, or like, ugh, like they, they're using these electronic sounds that are so dated. Like, they're just like, what are they doing? They're just like pretentious now. They're just being obscure for obscure obscurity's sake. Like, this is garbage. And then at the end of the year, they're like, oh, yep, album of the year. I, I didn't know that. I didn't realize that it was like, I think I read on Wikipedia was that people were comparing it to like when Dylan went electric or when Bowie did low and heroes like his berlin trilogy i didn't know it was so divisive uh, oh, yeah. which which makes sense now that it's always thought of as number one and the cool one uh because it was such an underdog so people are, who were beating that drum are like no this is number one and so uh, you know it, it makes sense to me now but but i i but look for me i rank okay computer higher than i rank kid a for sure and, and look, I like Kid A. I think Kid A is a great album. Even, even with all the prestige that Kid A has received, OK Computer is really seen still as the album that put Radiohead on the map. But Micaiah, we have a good guest today to help us talk about all of that. And this might be the first guest that we've connected with through a friend of the pod. So Michael Washburn, who's been our two-time guest, helped us connect with our guest today, Brad Efford. Before we get into our interview with Brad Efford, Micaiah, tell us a little bit about him. Sure. Well, like us, he is very interested in lists. Okay, so he had this years-long project called the RS500 at the rs500.com. And so he and a large group of people wrote, you know, uh, reviews or essays, different types of prose, short fiction um, about the 500 albums on the Rolling Stone 2012 list. Yeah. So we're going to take a break right now. You're going to hear from our independent record store of the week. And we are going to tell you a little bit about our favorite record store in Atlanta, Georgia. And then you're going to hear from this week's sponsor. And then we're going to get you to our interview with Brad Efford, from the Rolling Stone 500. Hey, this is Robin. I'm so excited to tell you about this week's independent record store of the week. We are highlighting Atlanta, Georgia's own Criminal Records. Criminal Records doesn't just have one of our favorite names of any record store in America. It also happens to be an incredible shop with more in their small footprint than you would ever possibly imagine. Half record store, half comic book shop, Criminal Records is located 
at 1154A Euclid Ave in Atlanta, Georgia, 30307. You can find them online at criminalatl.com or you can reach them by phone at 404-215-9511. They are open for in-store shopping Tuesday through Friday, noon to 6 p.m., 12 to 7 on Saturday and Sunday. They are doing all that they can during COVID to observe physical distancing for their limited capacity space, but they jam more records into this tiny space than you could possibly imagine. So if you live in the Atlanta area, get yourself to Criminal Records today. was a project is what I always called it. Um, it was it was kind of weird to call it a journal or to call it a, like a zine or whatever. Um, and I always landed on project when I would talk about it. It ran from August of 2014 to basically August of 2019. Um, it was a five-year project in which uh, I wanted to pair each of Rolling Stone 500 greatest albums of all time with a piece of writing. Um, and that was either an essay or a story of some type. And it started with me um, wanting to do it myself. So essentially what happened is that I, I graduated with my MFA in creative writing um, in 2013, I, th- I, guess, I guess it was. And um, by the following year, I was really kind of hungry to find some reason to keep on writing. And it was sort of the reason why I did my MFA and why I did a writing program in the first place was to have a reason to write and to meet a community of people who enjoyed writing and like with whom I could talk about writing and share writing and get ideas. And when that ended, you know, within a year of that ending, I was really missing that and I wanted some reason to do it again. So I basically created this project, which was initially for myself to write a piece of writing of some type for each album on uh, on the greatest albums of all time list. My idea was to do it um, once a week and I would write all 500. And then I quickly realized that that would take upwards of 10 years and I would be writing 500 pieces of writing. Um, and, and I think once I kind of realized that aspect of it, I decided that that was a terrible idea and it just wouldn't be like sustainable at all, I guess. And so what I ended up doing is I ended up um, really leaning into the community aspect of why I wanted it in the first place. And I initially put out the call to people who I really loved um, personally and whose writing I really loved. Um, It was people like uh, my girlfriend at the time, um, people like people who I went to my program with people who I knew from college even, like just people who I knew were great writers and who I knew would be into a project like that. And then word just spread and they would tell their friends and they would tell their friends and they would tell their friends. And we went chronologically from 500 down to one um, and we ended up publishing um, twice a week eventually. So we would publish a different piece of writing every, I think Monday and Thursday. And it whittled it down to the point where it took five years. 
So for five years, um, the RS500 was publishing uh, twice a week, two different pieces of writing, um, and we ended up having something like 110 contributors, something like that. So that is sort of the lifespan of that project. And the, the best part about it was just meeting all the people that I got to meet through it. Um, I, I mean, we'll, we'll end up talking about this, I know, but I'm, I'm just somebody who loves music so much and it was always my, my first love. And so to really meet a community of people who were on that wavelength as well was honestly kind of life-changing for me. It, it, it was really a big deal. And to stick through a project like that was such a um, rewarding thing that I did. I could keep on talking about it, but that, <laughs> that's kind of what it was in a nutshell. So let me ask this, because there, there's obviously a, an impetus of writing and wanting a reason to write, but also the attraction of writing around something you're passionate about, some music makes the most sense. So what was it that first kind of grabbed your attention of this Rolling Stone list? Was, was that kind of just a, a convenient way to categorize and go, okay, here's how we'll do it and here's how we'll write about music? Or were you one of the people like us who you're pouring over the Rolling Stone list and here, you know, here's all the places they've got it wrong and kind of opportunities like how much was, was it the influence of the list and how much it was the list kind of just became an excellent framing device for all of the writing? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of both. Um, my girlfriend and I, I, I say girlfriend, she's my wife now, but at the time <laughs> my girlfriend and I went, um, went to, uh, we did a West Coast trip. So, so I am from uh, Virginia originally, and we were living in Richmond at the time. And we took a West Coast trip where we went to California and Oregon and Washington and all these places. And um, we stayed with a friend of mine who is one of my closest, dearest friends. And he and I both just love music. And he had essentially the coffee table version of the RS500 of like it was either like a big magazine edition that they printed or whatever it was. Um, and he had that at his house. And it was one of those things that when we stayed with him for a few days, um, it was always just out and I would flip through it and he and I would just talk about it. And it would be a lot of what you're talking about, Rob, where um, we would kind of talk shit about it and be like, why is this on the list? Why is this album here? Like Californication, are you kidding me? <laughs> and so we would have all these conversations where um, it, 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 that was definitely like, what the impetus of it was, where I don't really think I had, I'm sure like I knew about the list uh, uh, before that, but I'd never really thought about it or like interacted with it. And um, that would have been like June of that year. And then by July, I, th I think at that point I was like, oh, that's a cool idea for a project. So it, it came out a little bit of that, of feeling like I, it would be fun to explore my opinions of that list. Cause again, it started as a solo idea. Um, and then I think it mutated into, you know, I bet people who like music, everybody has a strong opinion about this list. 500 albums is a lot of albums. So you are not going to have a single person on earth, I guarantee you, who is like, this list is perfect and everything should be on it and it's all in the right place. So I was like, everybody's going to have opinions about this. And then definitely I'm the kind of person where if I don't have a project or if I don't have a structure then I'm not going to follow through on something that I'm doing, on, on a creative pursuit that I have. So having some kind of a project became really, I think, important to me. And um, what got added into that mix was 
bringing other people into it so that we were all kind of holding each other accountable. So having that sort of accountability structure in it was also sort of what the purpose was. Um, but it was a mixture of, of those two things, kind of like this list is wild and encompasses so many different kinds of things and kind of encompasses them poorly, in my opinion. And um, especially in 2012, uh, it would have been that version of the list. And then the other thing is like having a structure like this is a gimmick and having a gimmick is appealing to me because um, there's a structure to it. So speaking of the Rolling Stone list, you finished your 500, you finished the, the RS 500 project right before they released their updated 2020 revision. What is your thought on the revision? The new list I think is great to put it, to put it quickly. Um, I, I was really excited when it came out. There are a lot of things that I think are baffling and there are a lot of things that I think are hugely corrective in ways that are really important. Um, and there are some omissions that they took off of the list. For example, a trap mask replica, which is hilarious to me. Um, that was so, so just like as, as one of the most egregious examples, trap mask replica was number um, 60 on the original list. And I think it's one of the most important albums in history. And so originally on that list, I was like, they see how important this album is, even if it's practically unlistenable for a lot of people. It's, it's a piece of like avant-garde, um, like poetry essentially. And, um, and then they've removed it entirely. So it's, it's, the, it's the number, it's the highest seated album that fell the most because it fell all the way off after being almost in the top like 50, close to it. So, um, so there are things like that that I'm like, where was the thinking on that? It's so interesting that they chose that. They whittled down on the Beatles albums, which I think is great. They added a lot more things into it that represent um, what I think is the biggest influence on music and especially popular music in the past 20 years, which is hip hop and R&B. Um, and they just like infused all of that into it. I'm sure it came out of adding a lot, a lot a lot of different like types of opinions and perspectives into the sort of like creation of it and the judging panels and everything in a way that they didn't in the past. Um, so you have artists on there like Sade has a couple of albums on there now that I think are like, thank God she's on there. Um, my favorite edition of Hounds is um, Hounds of Love, which is like my favorite album of all time. And that wasn't ever featured and now it's like very high up on the list. So you have things like that that thrill me because I'm like, yes, you finally have some representation rather than like only low in theory and like ready to die and like the blueprint or whatever. You have like your hip hop classics. You, you've got like, okay, we have Illmatic. Now we won't need another hip hop album for like 200 more. But like, that's kind of how it seemed where it'd be like, okay, you've got Love Supreme and Kind of Blue. And like, do we need any other jazz albums? Not really. Like throw sketches of Spain at them and they'll be fine. And I think with this new list, they're really trying, like they really tried a lot harder to speak to like the current moment. Um, and I, you know, I think that some people see, th see this new list and they're like, well, Rolling Stone is historically like a rock and roll publication or whatever. Like, I think that, that you have purists who are maybe older or something, or they just have like a different sort of perspective on it, but they kind of have this idea that Rolling Stone is a rock magazine and to like tear off so much of the rock side of things on this new list 
like, are we really, is this like Rolling Stone's perspective or are they trying to be more inclusive about like globally or at least like nationally the greatest albums of all time? Because I do think the 03 and the 2012 lists were very much like, this is the perspective of Rolling Stone magazine. It's very rock heavy. You've got like, you know, a lot of like uh, White Stripes albums because they were like the hot thing at the time. Um, just like blues rock stuff. Um, so my, you know, my my hottest take on the on the new list is just that I think it's far more reflective of what music actually is right now and what has actually like influenced the creation of music right now, which I think is great. Like I think it does hold up a mirror to where music is at right now and not just like a canon of music, which I think is an important um, uh, uh, distinction. You, you know, we're, um, oh my gosh, we're going to talk a lot about Radiohead, but I, I am interested in kind of hearing um, from you two guys, what do you think is like one of the biggest losses in the new list? Either something that mm. they again forgot to include on it or that they like took off. I don't think there's actually, there's a good deal that they took off, but I'm interested if like you looked at that list and you were like, still not this or like it's gone now. Like, is there anything that kind of jumped out to you? Well, we did an episode where Rob got on his soapbox at the end. It was just like Rolling Stone, you forgot transatlanticism by death cab for cutie right which is an album that we both love and grew up with um we're 10 years apart yet when it came out you know it spoke to us very deeply and holds up for us very well so the fact that and it was all like rolling stones like top 100 of the decade or something mm. uh and yet still within 500 albums didn't even oh my make goodness. it that was that was that was pretty frustrating for us. And the episode we just did last, um, they took off Armed Forces by Elvis Costello, and that was one of the ones that we talked about because that's my favorite Elvis Costello album. And the fact that it got booted off that and Imperial Bedroom, uh, I did not see that coming. So now it's only My Aim Is True in this year's model, which I think is kind of bad Elvis Costello representation in that like it's such just those two early albums doesn't really capture the rest of mm. his really expansive career yeah i think i think one thing that they really tried to do is get what was representative of an artist instead of all their great albums and i think that yeah. there's a loss in that and there's also an understanding in that for me because then you make room for other artists but so like yeah. that loss is definitely felt because you're like well that album is also fantastic but some artists have like five incredible albums and if you're a publication who wants to make sure that you, you get like a range of artists that are covering everything, then you're like, well, why don't we pick one or two that like represents that artist? And they're kind of like a lifetime achievement award for that whole artist. Um, right. I, I noticed them doing a good amount of that in, in the 2020. That, and that's one rule we created for ourselves pretty early on is like, okay, we're only going to do 100 albums, mm -hmm. right? So it'd be pretty, well, well, we would both agree, well, the Beatles and Dylan each have five that we'd probably count as top 100. Well, then there's 10% of our entire list right there. Right. So just one per artist and don't cheat it either. So you can't have like <laughs> uh, revolver and Ram and John Lennon, plastic Ono band and all things must pass. Like we're not going to play no that solo game. artist stuff. Right. Yeah. So we, okay. we it's slippery slope, you know, so you don't want to have like, I say even like, don't do NWA, like straight of Compton and the chronic, even for me, oh, I'm like, that's, no. Okay. Well, that's when well, you have to make rules. There have to be <laughs> rules or else things get out of hand. So we're probably going to have an episode where we're going to have to decide between the two of those. 
the good news is that is that that does lead to a lot of those questions around what is the more defining album for an artist. And so we, we did talking book intervision songs in the key of life. If you're only going to have one Stevie wonder album, which one of those is it going to be and why? And, and, and really we had the same, same issue with Van Morrison, which is, you know, an artist who, you know, I think if you see Astral Weeks and Moondance back to back, and really those kind of two different personalities of Van Morrison kind of get fleshed out in different ways through his whole career. So you're really, you're, what you're really doing is kind of deciding which version of this person, yeah. of this artist, do, do we like more? And then, you know, we had Jillian Garon to talk about the Beatles and ultimately decided that Revolver, not Sgt. Pepper's, is the best is the best picture of what the Beatles are and what they do, what they do mm-hmm. well. Um, and so it, it has led, you know, the simple fact of doing the list, I think, has both made us look a lot more graciously at the writers and compilers of the Rolling Stone list, because as soon as you start trying to do it yourself, you go, oh, man, this is really hard. But I think I think the the advantage of a podcast or if it was like a TV show or something is that you have a lot more room, like you have an hour or more to talk about the album in the context of the artist as a whole, mm-hmm. you know, where they're not going to write a book for ev- like the uh, publication itself isn't going to write a book for every single album on their list. So they kind of have to like isolate in two sentences, basically, like, here's what's important about this. Um, so, so I think the way that you guys are doing it is great because you can talk about Revolver or something, but you can talk about it in the context of the importance of the band as a whole, which I think is, is the smart way of doing it. Otherwise you would get totally like lost in the weeds of 10 different albums and talking about the same thing and it makes sense to me. Well, let's talk a little bit about Radiohead. <laughs> Radiohead. Okay. <laughs> just, just because we're, we're 45 minutes in already. interesting to me about OK Computer is that, Rob, you were talking earlier about fame and your take on that, um, at least in the moment, was that OK Computer is sort of the response to fame. And I see it as Kid A is the response to fame. And we're we're probably going to get into this. OK Computer is probably my third favorite Radiohead album. Um, I don't even think it's their best on an objective level. But what I love about Radiohead is that um, people break off into camps with Radiohead and their discography is so like, it's, it's varied, but it also tracks from album to album so, so cleanly and so clearly that each album is really a, like, a direct response to the previous album that came out all the way to a moon-shaped pool. And OK Computer is like the pin of it where they do the bins and then they basically are like, okay, let's still make a rock album, but let's make it strange, essentially. And that's what they do. And then after OK Computer, they become like the most famous band in the world, essentially. It's like U2 and Radiohead. <laughs> and and then, you know, Tom York gets like um, writer's block and he's like, what do I do from here? And what comes out of that obviously is Kid A. 
Um, and that's such a thornier album. And OK Computer is the album where they still have pop sensibilities. They still have rock sensibilities. And it's, it's a fascinating album to me, if nothing else, even though, um, and we'll talk about it, there, there are songs in this album that I think are unimpeachable. Um, and, and maybe my biggest take on Radiohead is that I think to a letter, maybe not, uh, Pablo Honey, I don't really count, which I think is rude of me. <laughs> I don't like that album very much. I think it's sort of like a start. Um, but besides like King of Limbs, maybe, I think every Radiohead album, the, the best songs on the album are in the first half and maybe the first like third of the album. Like they start their albums so strongly out of the gate, like to a, to a T. And then for me, at least, the latter half of Radiohead albums don't live up to the beginnings. And that's true for almost all of them for me. Um, and OK Computer is definitely like that, where the first three songs on this album, I think are the best this album ever gets. Like from Airbag into Paranoid Android, you don't get much better than that from a Radiohead album, I don't even think. And from like an album in the 90s, maybe not even. Um, and like that, that is where I think like the juice of this Radiohead album is. So that's kind of where where I come at from it. I really, I've been listening to it like obsessively for like a week or two now. And I it's gotten me a lot more into it. I've been reading a lot more about it. Like I've been kind of preparing for this conversation has made me fall in love with it in a way that I wasn't before. Um, even though I always kind of liked it, but it was always sort of like, if I'm going to listen to Radiohead, I'm going to, I'm going to listen to like Hit A or like In Rainbows. And then I might listen to like Amnesiac. Like it was never like the album that I chose if I was into Radiohead. Um, but I think that there are parts of it now that I really appreciate in ways that I never really did. I, um, I love it. I think it's great. That's kind of where I land on it is I think it's a great album and, and I'm excited that it exists. I'm excited that you guys kind of chose it as the album for this list. It makes sense to me completely. Going with the idea that for this podcast, we are only allowing an artist to have one album to represent the artist. Right. There, there is, I, I do think that it was going to be always be between OK Computer and Kid A. And I think OK Computer is the right choice to represent this band. It's the most influential, I think, most famous album by this band, like, for a reason. Like, I, I think it changed rock music when this album came out, which I think is, is why it's so important. My introduction to Radiohead was definitely the Paranoid Android um, music video where, you know, I was 10 years old 
and was definitely like watching MTV. And that was a video that I remember watching all the time, just on rotation on MTV and being very freaked out by it and very intrigued. It's like a cartoon music video. And it, it has like a Beavis and Butthead kind of energy, even though it's like a depressing, sad music video. It's like this cartoon of a guy walking around having like a depraved life and then like jumping off a bridge maybe. Like I have these like images in my mind of just this creepy cartoon when I was a kid. Um, and and I remember them playing like the entirety of the video and it's like a six plus minute track. And that that was my introduction to this band. And then of course, what you get is the Karma Police music video with the headlights. And there's all these like images that I attach to this band so closely and so like emotionally um, that I think that when I, when I started to get into high school, um, I, I graduated high school in 06. So this is like early 2000s being like, okay, Radiohead is like a real band. It's not just like a, a music video and images and like Tom York, who's like a weirdo. It's like, this is a band who made albums that people really like. So to sit down and think critically about these albums as when I got a little bit older was a totally different kind of experience where I was trying to jive a song like The Tourist with a song like Paranoid Android or like Electioneering with a song like Paranoid Android. Like just like my initial entrance to the band was so wild that hearing something else on the same album that sounds radically different was so crazy to me. Um, and, and when you hear, I think later albums, they do sound more like a piece. Like I think um, No Surprises is a bizarre track to be in the, uh, it's not like in the middle, but to be on this album because it just sounds so radically different to me, even though it's really not. It's just like, it just has a different kind of energy. It has like an upbeat, almost happy energy to it. And when you hear Kid A, just as an example, or when you hear like Hail to the Thief is another great example, or like In Rainbows, like every song on that album, you're like, okay, that song tracks, like it fits in this album. Especially Kid A, you're just like, okay, another depressing song. <laughs> like, okay, another scary, depressing song. All these songs are like this. Um, and OK Computer, I think what's so magical about it is that it can jump between these styles and approaches so wildly. Um, and I think it's mostly very successful. I mean, you have um, you have Hit or Happier is what it is. You have Hit or Happier on there, which the instinct is to be like, skip track. And then I think when you don't, obviously you spend time with it, you're like, OK, this actually fits not only great on this album, but it's actually like the thesis statement for this entire album, which I think is fantastic. Fitter, happier, more productive, comfortable, not drinking too much, regular exercise at the gym, three days a week, getting on better with your associate employee contemporaries, at ease, eating well, no more microwave dinners and saturated fats. A patient better driver, a safer car, baby smiling in backseat, sleeping well, no bad dreams, no paranoia, careful to all animals, never washing spiders done a plug hole, keep in contact with old friends, enjoy a drink now and then, will frequently check credit at moral bank. Well, let's, let's get into that though, like what what is then like the thesis of this album because when it came out right away, 
right it was this kind of just like oh this is a dystopian album like this is about like this is about skynet man like the robots are gonna take over man like there, there's that kind of 90s kind of energy about it you know yeah. you know y2k paranoia orwellian anxieties uh and you know, I, I I don't know that that's on the album as much as people project that on the album. So I I'm curious as to what everyone thinks that you know, like if there is a thesis to this album, what that is, because people do talk about it as a concept album, and I I don't think that it is one. Um, there there are recurring themes and there are uh, motifs, um, but to pin it down as a concept album, I I think would be um, a mistake on the list. Yeah, I, I think Radiohead's made one concept album. It was Hail to the Thief. And it's very much like, here's an album about George Bush. You're welcome. Um, and I don't think OK Computer is a concept album. I, I mean, it's funny when you read, um, when you read about Tom York's, aspect, like specifically his approach to this album was his idea was that he made uh, the bins and he saw it as like a depressing album. And he was like, I don't really have this negative of a worldview either anymore or like as much as it came across on this album. So what I want to do is I want to approach music more optimistically. And like his his version of happy, optimistic music is okay computer, which is hilarious to me. But I think he wanted to have more of like a range. Like I, I don't think he sees it as like a happy album, but but like Airbag, for example, is a mission statement as well. Like it comes in and it's very much like the opening track it's pretty upbeat the lyrics are like kind of optimistic even if they're also like a little pessimistic but like he comes in sounding pretty happy on the song relatively mm -hmm. speaking um and then it, it it dips and dives but but i totally agree with you that i, I don't think it's as like paranoid and like dark and like Orwellian. like that album is kid a and that's where they win in my opinion but this album i think has that range of you have like a no surprises for example and then you yeah. have like a fairy nord android and you have like everything in between um and to me this album is about technology and i think he's he's talked about that at length that this album is very much um prescient it really is ab about how technology is going to take over our lives how how it already has at that point taken over our lives it's about being online before being online was even a thing mm -hmm. um it's See, it's very much yeah go ahead but, but where is that, though? Like, other than fitter, happier, where is that? Because if we're talking about Airbag, which I, I like that you said, like, it's a pretty optimistic song, and it is, you know, in an interstellar burst, I'm back to save the universe. Yeah. That's like, oh, that's, that's, great. that's not like a really dark Radiohead lyric at all. Like, this is someone who, and, and he had previously been in a car accident, was saved by an airbag. And I think in interviews, like, yeah, everyone's reaction when they, survive a car accident should be like i'm i've come back to life like mm -hmm. i get another shot at this like people should be pretty thrilled
Uh, so if you're asking, where is that on the album? Because um, yeah, of, of the twelve tracks. Yeah, no. So, 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 let, so let me let me kind of make it. So, I, I I agree with you. This is, I think this is an album about technology. I think the problem is is that the 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 pervading late '90s fear was of a you know dystopian future, you know, the the Orwellian paranoia, the Y two K stuff. Like, and so I do think that it is easy to read things into this album that aren't necessarily there. I, I think that the, the way that technology is referenced on this album is in some ways far more sedated and to that point, maybe far more dangerous, which is the way that he seems to be writing about, thinking about, and talking about technology on this album is, is far more domesticated. It's, it's around the idea of not the robot, you know, this, this isn't, you know, it's not flaming lips doing Yoshimi battles, the pink robots. This is not that, you know, this is not like B 1950s horror movie. This is very much. Except for when it is on subterranean. Well, (laughs) yeah, that's, that's true. It is far more the idea of the ways in which technology makes us more productive. And if technology makes us more productive, what are we that if that if if here if here we have all this access to technology if you look at you know again the the second half of the 20th century and all the technological advances and all the technological advances did not serve to make us better people they essentially served to make us more productive people and so what is it that we are if here we have access to all of this technology and all we've used it to do is to essentially work more and and I think that's the kind of domesticated idea of technology. And and for me, like in exit music, in, in exit music, in uh, obviously in fitter happier, in I mean, really the last four tracks of the album, climbing up the walls, no surprises, lucky, and the tourist, are are really this declaration as the album is ending of what this album is all about. And and I think so much more so, this is the thing that I can't get out of my mind listening to this album. And I, I listen I listen to OK Computer. I rarely listen to single songs off OK Computer, even though it has five singles of the twelve, you know, of the twelve tracks that are on this album, five of them were released as singles. I rarely listen to any of these songs on their own. I like listening to this album start to finish. But in preparation for this podcast over the last two weeks, the thing that has really hit me that I had never noticed before, for as many times as I've listened to this album, is the fact that the tourist ends with a single bell. That for this album being about technology, the final sound we hear of this album is the most analog sound there is. Essentially, this is, this is a bell being hit there's there's nothing there, there's nothing digital there's nothing computer generated here it's the sound of a bell and then you also think about it you know and obviously now thinking about it from a you know 21st century perspective thinking about our phones and technology and the ways that we've all become dopamine addicts be, because of the technology we have access to now and so this kind of like pavlovian response at the end of the torus that it ends with this single bell sound to finish the album, 
Um, it, I don't know why, but it, 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 that has become a haunting end to this album in a way that I, I had not listened to it that way before. So in all of that, like I, I hear we've, we've used technology just to do more and make more and the, of the ways that technology has invaded our lives. And, and so essentially if, if, if our access to technology is telling us as people what it is we really care about, then I think OK Computer is the definitive album talking about our relationship to technology. I like that take a lot. I generally think that all of Radiohead's albums are about a man with bad anxiety, like clinical anxiety, looking at the world around him. And especially in the lyrics, but not really at all. Like in like the vibe of all of their albums, it's really about like, I have anxiety and I have like social anxiety, especially, and I'm afraid of the world around me. And this is what it, he, and this is what that's like. And I think OK Computer is Tom York's version of an optimistic period in his life where he is like, he is on top of that. Like he, he is like in charge of his anxiety, whether or not that's true, like in like a biographical sense, I have no idea, but it has that vibe of like somebody battling something and winning. And I think what comes after this is Kid A. And, and Kid A is somebody battling their anxiety and like not winning at all. And like, and just like is under it and they're deep inside their anxiety. Um, so I, I don't, I really like your, your take on the, on the whole um, technology aspect of it, Rob. And I, I am such a lyrics second person which makes it more challenging for me to be like, okay, well, in this line, he says this, and that line, he says that. I pick up on things that he says, especially with Tom York, you kind of need a lyric sheet, honestly. <laughs> but but this album is such a vibe to me, and, and I think the way it moves through its vibe is so essential to sort of how it feels to me. And it feels like somebody like with anxiety trying to take ownership of it and being pretty on top of it for the most part. Um, and all their albums are about paranoia because I think Tom York is a paranoid person. And so I think you get parts of their career where he's a little bit feeling like on top of it more and parts of it where he's really like inside his anxiety. His, um, his um, solo albums are, are kind of like that as well. So that's kind of my, my take on the album is that I think it's, I think it's largely optimistic because I think you have a guy who struggles and he's at a he's at a pretty optimistic point in his life and that goes up and down throughout their career and that's what's kind of uh, unfortunately worded but it's like fun to track that like fun is the wrong word but as somebody who likes music and keeps on top of it tracking that the progression of the band so closely connected to the progression of the frontman isn't always the case with bands um and this band is so, I think, keyed into that. Like, wherever Tom York is at in his life is the album that you are going to get from Tom York. 
Um, and I do think OK Computer is such a reflection of that. I mean, it's called OK Computer. Like, I think he is in like an, like an OK place in his life in this album. And I think that that that's very essential to what the, what makes the album sort of like vibe. I, you know, I, are you guys going to talk about uh, Yankee Hotel? Um, we did. Uh, we we you already did. You already talked about it. So yeah. that, I think about that album a lot as being Me connected too. to this album. Every day, maybe. Air, <laughs> <laughs> but but Airbag. Um, I'm trying to break your heart is the opening song of that album, right? And and airbag and that song are so similar to me with the false mm -hmm. endings. The drum sound is almost the exact same. Like the way it opens up, the the way it shifts what that band has been doing up until that point. Like they are such moments in music making where um like uh Tweety, Tweety comes out and it's like, it's the new Wilco baby. <laughs> and it's like it's like the old Wilco, but it's going to be a lot better. And Radiohead comes out, and they're like, it's it's new Radiohead, baby. And and it's the same sound, but like blown up to ten. And both songs just sound so much like each other, and have this optimism that wasn't there in the same way previously. It has like a shaky sort of opt optimism to it. Mm -hmm. um, so I think of that song a lot as like a sister track, and it just feels so much to me without having any idea that. Weedy heard this album and was like, I want to make an album like that. Like, I want to make a song like this because that's what Yankee Hotel is to me. Like that album is the same sort of like navigating optimism, like a, a person who is not naturally optimistic, navigating their optimism and doing their best. Um, and they're both sort of tortured albums in, in, the, in, in that way. Yeah. See now, Brett, I, I I dig your thesis that that it is just like about a guy battling his anxieties and you know coming out on top. But and Rob, to your point, I still don't see the technology part of it. Like I I, I really do see that as just like other than fitter happier. I I just think that that is a a projection. I think. And here's where I think a big part of that comes from too, because like no, hold on. we're not I want to stop you there for a second. You can't say other than fitter fitter happier, it's a projection. Because look, nowhere else in the history of this band's career have they ever interrupted an album with a three with essentially a three-minute statement statement read by a computer. Like so, yeah, so but, that, but then that's we a can... part of that's a part of this album. And so I, I don't think I don't think it's projecting anything onto this album to say that technology is a part of that. I think they put that right there square in the middle right. of the album. But equally in the middle of Kid A is Tree Fingers, and it's an instrumental track. 
but no one thinks of tree fingers as being like that's the thesis of kid a it's right there in the middle and it's an instrumental that's the one we need to build our understanding of this album around you know so why why not do the tree fingers i think it's dangerous to put a thesis on an album unless it's stated by the band like i like i think that's like, unless it's like American Idiot and B- Billy Joe Armstrong is like, this album is about this. And it's like yeah. very in your face. And, you know, I, I do think it's fun and maybe even like essential to kind of talk through what is a, like, what's a band going for here and what is their sort of intent. Um, mm-hmm. But I do, I am kind of in the camp that I don't know that this album has a thesis very much. I almost see it more like a worldview. Um it, it just feels like such a personal album to me. It feels like it's such a personal album to me. And I don't know if that's fair to the band at all, but like Radiohead just feels it. I think there are moments when it feels like Johnny Greenwood's band, but there are moments when it really feels like Tom York's band. And like those two competing things are very much like at, at war or at peace with each other. Um, this just feels like a like a very personal album about a guy being like, what is happening right now and how do I navigate that? Like a, like a view of the world in the moment. Um, I'm, I'm surprised it holds up so well, honestly. Yeah. One reason I think that the technology aspect comes out is because of how much they put into the album. Like they're, they're working with, like, with electronic elements, but the irony of that is they're embracing it. And people are like, oh, man, technology is like doomsday, man. It's like, well, not according to the new aesthetics of this band. Like, they're using new technology to recreate their sound. That's not, that's not pessimism. That's not dystopia. Like, if they're using it to make beautiful music, that, that kind of is a counter-argument. And the way I see the album isn't about technology um, at all. I, I think of it... Uh, more is kind of purely humanist um, and humanistic in the same way when people would talk to Kurt Vonnegut about his some of his novels they'd be like oh so you're like a sci-fi writer he's like no I'm a I'm a humanist I don't know what you're talking about you know like people are like oh well this, this album is is science fiction or this 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 novel science fiction is like no this is just about humanity it's not it's not about you know science fiction of course you know he also likes to joke with people but uh, I think, I think, but there, I think there's a lot there because, uh, you know, airbag is a celebration of life. Paranoid Android is about being an uncomfortable around yuppies. Like that's really, even though it's paranoid Android, but like, it's just a reference to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Like it's not about androids. Exit music was written for Romeo and Julia and very much also is about just uh, young love and young romance and the beginning of it which they've talked about uh, Tom York and Nigel Gogridge have talked about this a lot that uh, Johnny Cash was a big influence Wake from your sleep the drying of your tears today We escape, we escape. Let Down is just like about 
disappointment, but not with how disappointing technology has been or anything. Karma police, kind of more frustration with, with yuppies. Then there's Fitter Happier, but we should spend more time about like what's actually being said in Fitter Happier. Because I don't know that like being kind to animals is very dystopian. And then there's electioneering, which is about like the International Monetary Fund. Like very much just about like IMF, very specifically, which has nothing to do with technology, uh, but impoverished countries. Uh, Climbing up the walls is about people with mental illness and his time working with people around uh, around people with mental illness. No surprises is more of that kind of trademark depression Radiohead stuff. Lucky, pretty optimistic title at least. Um, and this and now we're moving from car crashes to to an airplane, right? And then the tourist, which is about him observing American tourists in France rushing to see like all the sights. And it's also, of course, about him touring for the bins, being like, man, I need to slow down. And so like, I, I, don't, I don't see technology much in, in any of that, except for using technology to kind of rebrand their sound. Uh, that's not uh, using rebranding to describe Radiohead seems sacrilegious. Um, so yeah, so I, I, I really, apart from the title and Fitter Happier, I don't think this is the Skynet paranoia album that so much of Gen X latched onto. But very much, I think what Brad was talking about, about sure. more generally about just like personal anxiety and what it means to be human. Yeah, so no, but no, no one on this podcast is arguing for the Skynet Orwellian dystopian future. I, I, so I, I do think that there is a late 90s version of understanding this album that may not hold up o- over time. But, but I, I also don't know, I, I don't know that we have the luxury of going track by track and saying definitively, well, that's what this song is about. That's what this song is about. That's what this song is about. Like, even even if we were literalists of everything Tom York is saying, Mm -hmm. I I don't know that simply going through the lyric sheet and saying, well, you know, here's what he seems to be talking about. Is is a definitive is is a definitive way of saying, well, that's what this song is about. So, Mm -hmm. so again, I, I don't I don't think this has to be a dystopian future to to say, hey, like the 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 strange relationship that human beings have to technology seems to be all all over this album. Like, I don't think that that discounts or disqualifies it from also being an album about the anxiety that Tom York is feeling about this, or even again, that this idea might be Tom York's best version of optimism. Android Android is not just like a Hitchhiker's Guide thing. It's like a oh opera, no, there's it's like an operatic like yeah, examination no, the, the, of like the, the title being terrified is, in the world. Yeah, but I, I was just saying that paranoid android isn't like about like androids. You know what I mean? Like that, right. that's what I was saying. Like <laughs> yeah. we're not we're not ta- we're not talking about like the fear of androids or like we're becoming androids. Yeah, it's a like, like the paranoid android like <laughs> is a is a a wink to Hitchhiker's Guide. The, with the song that has like a lot go, musically, yeah. yeah it's a, it's a I mean, OK parts. Computer is a wink to Hitchhiker's Guide as well. It's a line from right. the book, so like, exactly. yeah, they're they're going to be drawing from those influences. Um, 
what I what I would love to know is is because this album is so varied, in my mind at least, and maybe I'm off base in saying that, I think that the sounds on the album are very varied. You have traditional rock songs with like like avant-garde tracks with like pop songs essentially. Mm-hmm. What for each of you is like your favorite song on the album? Like this is like oh sure. Not not necessarily like this is the best song. Like maybe that's the same thing for you, but your favorite song on the album, if you had to pick one, is what? Because I know mine. I've got mine. Well, I'll say at the same time. I'm just kidding. Okay. So <laughs> I'll, I'll go first. Since you asked, I'll go first. Um for me it's let down. Mine too. Okay. Um, hey, th- that's the one I skipped. Okay, now I really want to hear why this is your oh, favorite song. Wow! Please, okay, so, I want to be convinced. <laughs> so weirdly enough, you talked about this being it being in, uh, you know, maybe he's doing okay, and this is kind of his version of optimism. Weirdly enough, let down, and this and this is entirely the way that it's written. And you know, I've I've I heard a really great interview with Ed O'Brien, where he he really talked about and and to to Mikhail, your point earlier. It was interesting to listen to Ed O'Brien talk about it because in his mind, Kid A, then essentially it, it wasn't until touring OK Computer that they really got into programming and in, in what, what we later think of as much more of kind of the very digital radiohead sound. If you I mean, when you think about OK Computer, with the exception of Fitter Happier, you're you're hearing Again, you're hearing a ton of, especially on Johnny Greenwood, Johnny Greenwood's guitar guitars. You are hearing a ton of digital effects and, and, and pedals that are that are on his guitar. But but you are really hearing very traditional rock instruments. Like this is this is you know some some piano, some keys, a bunch of electric guitars, a bass and drums. But, you know, despite all the ways that they're kind of chopped up and, and you know, kind of staccato and polyrhythm playing, like, it's it's all still basically, you know, kind of very traditional rock instruments. And so the, the point I was going to say is, so Ed O'Brien talking about, you know, the, the writing of these songs, there's something that happens in Let Down. And if Let, if let Down ends a minute earlier than it does, it wouldn't be my favorite song on this album. It's the fact that Let Down builds and when it has the returning verse and chorus, kind of after the, the, the long instrumental bridge portion, it, it, it's almost like the whole song finally comes together. And so all of the music that feels a little disjointed and it feels kind of a little off for most of the song kind of all comes together and then is reinforced by this kind of moving part that it, that it all kind of finally falls into almost being a pop song at its very end. So even though the song is again, lyrically about disappointment, it concludes in the most uplifting way of any song on the album.
also a very English song. I feel like it's really pointed toward like American sentimentality. Like the, oh my God, I love you so much. You know, just like everyone just being like, like real heightened emotions just for the sake of having heightened emotions. And it really takes the piss out of that. Uh, and I can enjoy that um, from time to time, even though, you know, because it's not like saying that emotions are, are dumb because this is a very emotional album from start to finish. But, but that, that kind of sentimentality, you know, it's still very much like an alt-rock album or it has, it has a very alt-rock attitude at that point. Um, so, you know, I, I can dig that, but also just what they were going for sonically, um, they referred a lot to like Phil Spector, Wall of Sound, big pop music. And I dig that. I, I love the Wall of Sound. I love all the big girl groups. And so like musically, that's in there. Or that's, that's, that's the sound of the drums and like uh, they you know, record it in like a big hall, like a big ballroom or something. Yeah. So, you know, to get like a lot of that sound and I, so that, that's just something I respond to. And I read the lyrics for the first time today and I was like, this is squash like a bug in the ground. Is that what that is? Cause I mean, like he's not very, he's not enunciating at all. Um, but I think that really works though. Um, I mean, talk about being let down. You read the lyrics and you're like, that? Her? Like Arrested Development. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so, but, and not that I was let down, but I, I, I like that the lyrics are kind of indiscernible while listening to it, that it is more of this primitive kind of, you know, what, what's the do-run-run mean from, you know, the Crystals and Phil Spector? You know, it, it means nothing. It's the do-run-run. Um, and so just kind of hearing him just kind of, almost kind of moan it out or mumble it out, mm-hmm. but it's still very melodic and there are a lot of vocal layers. And then you just hear like chemical reactions somewhere. And then you're like, fine. Like, like it's, it's still, I just respond to that always have. And then like one of my second favorites would be no surprises, which they're purposefully doing like a, Beach Boys thing, like oh yeah, it's kind of like wouldn't it be nice? But like uh, like like a riff on that. I was like, yeah, that it makes sense because I love that song too, and that's also going for the Phil Spector Wall of Sound kind of thing. So yeah, that's that's just my taste. Yeah, well, Brad, it, it is interesting thinking about kind of your your take on this album. You know, thinking about a person with anxiety, I don't know that I would have. It, before you saying that tonight, I don't know that I would have thought about that. But again, in let down, you know, the essentially the repeated ending, both in the second verse and then in kind of the the post bridge verse, you know, where he talks about chemical reaction, and it's mm-hmm. almost like a, a chemical reaction, hysterical and useless, hysterical into the chorus and let down and hanging like, and I just wonder, like, as as someone who who also um you know struggles with an anxiety disorder it's the thing i was i was thinking about this last night my uh, we we had a family member who was in town visiting us who ended up having to go to the emergency room and it was a thing of watching it in someone else and being like yeah that's a panic attack and i've had those and i know what that's like and i know what it's like to go to the hospital and then feel guilty for having gone to the hospital because intellectually you know you're not dying but when your body is having a chemical reaction in telling you like, and so just that line, like 
this chemical reaction hysterical and useless. Like there, there is, I, I don't know if I would say that it is, I, I don't know if I hear optimism as much in it, but maybe it is a making peace with his anxiety. And, and maybe, yeah. and maybe, and maybe that might be as good as, as any of us can hope for who, who struggle with that, that like, it, it, it might not be him doing well with it, but just him kind of making peace with it. Like, okay, this, this is what it is. Um, yeah. and, and there's, and there's something that I, that I feel at least in the lyrical content of let down the kind of here and there and, and thinking about it through that kind of lens that you've talked about tonight, I think does give, give reason for the kind of big pop, you know, feel good wall of sound ending mm. that let down has. Well, Brad, yeah, what I, about you? What's your fi- favorite song on the album? Well, well, first I just want to say that I think that um, I I love this take of, or or maybe you just were like made me think of it that um, there's the intellectual approach to anxiety and there's the emotional approach to anxiety, and maybe that's the better way to articulate what I was talking about earlier of um, watching Tom York approach his albums or or what, watching like the band, if you want to approach their albums, that I think that this album, it's full of emotion, but it's a very intellectual view of anxiety. Meaning it's, it's viewing your anxiety while you're in a space where you can view it either as an outsider or whatever it is, or in hindsight, whatever it is. And then you have other albums of theirs um, where it's a much more emotional view of anxiety, either because you're currently in it or because you were just in it or whatever it is. Like you have this very emotional reaction to, to anxiety. And that is, I think very much kind of what we track with this band is like, as they get older, what's their approach to that view of things. Um, and I do think that this album is very much like an intellectual view of anxiety. Cause it has that benefit for whatever reason of being able to see, like, remember when I had anxiety, that's interesting. Or like, you know, it, not like I had it, but like, remember when I was having a panic attack, for example, like that was crazy. And I can write about it intellectually rather than being like, I'm currently having a panic attack. Let me write down all these thoughts. Like that is kid a or something like that, you know? Um, so my, my, my favorite song is paranoid Android. I, I I've talked about it to death already, but like, I just think that song is an opus and it's, it's insane to me how, how much that song opens up. There is the moment in that song. It's the rain down bridge or whatever it is like a breakdown with all the rain down stuff happening where I go almost like catatonic because it's so like hypnotic and it, and it really achieves what I think he's trying to achieve of just like all the layered, like harmonies and the melodies that are in there and then um and then the acoustic guitar comes in for like two measures or some or less like a measure and then the electric guitar kicks in and then you have like a half verse and then the entire song is over <laughs> you have like a solo and then like the song is over and i just love the way that this song moves and evolves and um i think it's terrifying and i think it's beautiful
And I think the way that Paranoid Android moves through its parts is so smooth that you don't really realize that it's changing sometimes. And it just like, it, it sweeps me up. Um, I mean, I already said before that I think that, that the, the first three tracks are the, are the strongest for me on this album. Um, I, um, I don't respond to a lot of the album in the same way, though there are parts of it where I completely do. Um, I don't like the ballads on this album very much. Hmm. And I thought, I, I don't like ballads in general, but I really like the ballads on Kid A, which is just an album that I like more. So for whatever reason, like the slower songs don't really connect to me. Like exit music doesn't do a lot for me. Hmm. Um, maybe it's because I connected so much with the movie with Romeo and Juliet that I'm just like kind of picturing Leonardo DiCaprio. And I'm like, this is like a different kind of song. Um, yeah. But definitely my my favorite bit of the album is the beginning um and paranoid android is like the high water mark and i would put it as like one of my favorite songs by this band that's had this huge career that has so many songs i i would grab at as sort of like my favorite from this band you also I, I, get like the most 90s lyric out of paranoid like, android you know ambition makes you look pretty ugly like all right slackers we get it (laughs) ambition makes you look pretty ugly kicking and squealing gucci little piggy yeah gucci little piggy is the best part of the whole song it's just like i scream every time it's the best yes it's like real nice like we're slackers man get your consumerism out of here you yuppies just like all right this album went platinum in like a day so when he says gucci little piggy it's like legitimately terrifying the way he says it it's great it's 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 a highlight (laughs) which which is so strange considering like, and, and I'm with you. So, like, I think Paranoid Android, in terms of if you were going to point to Radiohead's single most impressive feat of a song, yeah, I think I think it would be Paranoid Android, and I don't think anything else comes close. Because oh, it maybe is, National is, Anthem, Rob. I was going to say uh, Idiot Tech is pretty See, There's lots of ones. <laughs> no, no. But here's, here's why I say Paranoid Android. Because... Okay. No, there's a great case. Because, because it, it is four different songs. If, if, if nothing else, for just the sheer um, efficiency of we're going to give you as many possible sides to Radiohead in a single song. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a great one. about your what about brad's favorite albums you obviously have thought a lot about this albums you love that are not included (laughs) albums you love that are not part of 
canon the canonical lists. So for you, give us give us five kind of favorite albums of yours that are are don't get their love. I find something that I love in really every genre of music. So I tried to kind of run that range when I think of this, but I do think that what my my favorite album of all time is is um, Sounds of Love by Kate Bush. Um, I worship that album. I think it's a masterpiece and I love it. Um, I've, I once wrote, and maybe I'll try again, probably not, but I once wrote a pitch to uh, like a, whatever it is, to, to do a 33 and a third on Hounds of Love. Um, I wrote the whole thing out and then they changed the guidelines a week before I sent it in. I was really annoyed. Hey, I, sent it, some... I sent it in anyways. And I was like, I was like, I know it's not the guidelines anymore, but here's what I have. And they rejected it. But maybe one day I'll try again. Hey man, May 17th is uh, they're is open the right deadline? now. Yeah. Well, I got a week. Um, if you got uh, ready to go. That that's, that's my favorite album of all time. I just love it. And then it's um, the best. And then probably my other in in that top five are uh, Enter the Wu Tang. You got Thirty Six Chambers, which I think is is the high watermark of hip hop as a genre for me. Um, Loveless by My Bloody Valentine, which I think is the high watermark of rock music for me. Um, as a bizarre person who's into that, um, A Love Supreme. Uh, and Car Wheels on a Gravel Road by Listen to Williams. Those are probably mm. like. You know, if I think about, let me try to get the genres in here, but even when I look at those five, I'm like, I do kind of think that those are like the five greatest albums ever made um, on a personal level. And then also, you know, also on there that you could probably shift in, give or take for a lot of these are Graceland, um, Pink Moon, you got Good Old Boys by Randy Newman, who is one of my favorite artists of all time, um, On the Corner by Miles Davis, the Shape of Punk to Come by Refused is an album I just lived for. Um, Time the Revelator by Gillian Welch, uh, In Utero, and then the, the um, Low in Theory. So I like th- those are the albums that I think when I look at that list, I'm like, those are the albums I know front and back entirely. And I put them on whenever I want to. And I just like, they, they blew open the world of music for me, mm-hmm. like all of those albums, both collectively and sort of individually. Well, Brad, we want to let you go. We, we can't thank you enough for being with us tonight. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, we, are, we are so excited. Um, uh, for, for our listeners, um, how can our listeners stay up with you? What do you have going on? Is there, is there anything you're working on, anything you want to promote while we've got you here? Yes, I run a journal right now called Wigwag. W-I-G-W-A-G. Um, uh, it, we publish personal essays about movies. So if anybody wants to um, write about a movie that they love. Um, so that's what I've been doing for the past couple of years, I guess, year and a half. Um, so check out Wigwag Mag on everything. And that's pretty much it. Other than that, I, um, I'm a high school administrator. So all my personal <laughs> social media stuff is kind of like locked up. <laughs> so I kind of just like go check out Wigwag because everything else is locked for me. <laughs> anyway, that's a, that's what I've been up to. But I really appreciate your time, guys. This is a lot of fun for me. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll we'll touch base with you soon. We want to thank. Brad Efford for being with us. I, I think we we really enjoyed that conversation. As you really heard, we were 
um, kind of three kindred spirits just in, in our love for music and the way that we think about it and talk about it, um, which is not to say that we agreed, um, but just to say that um, I think we, we approach it with similar sensibilities. You and I, Micaiah, both included Radiohead's OK Computer as our album to be included in this season. I, I, I still think that that's the right choice, but this might be the first episode we've done about an album we both chose where I find myself wondering, did we get this right? Before, before we finalize the inclusion of OK Computer by Radiohead in our list, okay. did we get this right? Should we be talking about Kid A instead? Should, should we be leaning to the most different or maybe, maybe influential? I mean, thinking about our conversation as we, were, as we were concluding there with Brad, thinking about Nirvana and how Nevermind is generally regarded higher because it changed things, because it, it had a bigger impact, even if it wasn't maybe their best album, which I know a lot of you, I've completely lost credibility by, by even saying that. But is Kid A, not OK Computer, the Radiohead album that changed things in terms of its, in terms of its impact? Or are we are we are we are we right in saying no no? OK, computer is is their signature masterwork, even if it was followed by another masterpiece by the same band that was just different. Is it is it overvaluing different to the detriment of a great album like OK, computer? I'm glad you brought this up. Here here's how I think of these albums, and disagree if you'd like to. Well, what we didn't talk about was how Radiohead emerged within the context of Brit pop. And then by the time you get to like the bends, you hear like, oh, this is what like you hear, all right, Coldplay is on the horizon, like for sure. Like when you listen to like fake plastic trees or high and dry, you know Coldplay's coming. And I've always kind of viewed Brit pop, and I'm probably wrong for this, but that's fine. It's kind of like starting with the Stone Roses and kind of ending with OK Computer. Just like, you know what, British rock, like, this is it. Like, here we go. This kind of period, it's done. You can't top OK Computer. And, I mean, this is hardcore uh, by Pulp comes out a year later. Um, and, and people love that album. But, like, Brit Pop is kind of done. People are kind of over it. They kind of have Brit Pop fatigue. Uh, so I kind of think of OK Computer as kind of being like the end of of Britpop, but I don't I don't know that a lot of music replicates OK Computer. I don't know that it's a reference point for like oh let's make music like this. It, it kind of seems untouchable, but I feel like a lot of artists have riffed on Kid A. And be like, okay, how do we do something that's more like this? How do we start integrating these sounds into our music? Like rock bands like The Nationals started uh, integrating more uh, like drum machines and and, and technical stuff into their music. Uh, Even the way like different rock bands started using like uh, Bon Iver, you you might want to say. 
starting using like, oh, I'm going to use auto-tune as a tool the way that Tommy York started using like a vocorder mm. on Kid A. Like, I feel like that really opened the door for like, hey, rock bands, like once you've got, you know, a great set of rock albums behind you, feel free to just go to, to explore new avenues. And we've seen some of the great folk bands, if you want to call like Bony Bear that, and like the national, like kind of, take them up on that. It's like, yeah, let, let's start integrating these things. Let's not just be a guitar band. So I, I think Kid A might have actually more influence than OK Computer. I feel like OK Computer is just like, boom, this is the end of this era of British rock music. And Kid A is like, hey, for the 21st century, like here's like a template narratively for like what a band can do. Like you can put out a great rock album with a lot of guitar stuff and interesting sounds. And then you can follow it up if you want with samples. Like, you, yeah, sky's the limit. They, they, I definitely think they, they created a pathway. I don't, I don't know that what Bonnie Vera does or what the National does, what Matt, Matt Berenger from the National does. Like, I, I don't know that that's, I don't know that that's as directly connected to OK to Kid A, is is we might be hearing in it. Um, but I definitely think that that at the very least there was a a a roadmap that Radiohead made for alternative bands to have the freedom and the the boldness to change dramatically. Yeah. And again, like they're not the first band to have ever done that. Right. But they're they're definitely the first they're definitely the first alternative rock band to do that. And, and really, it's, it's a good thing they did because I, I, and this is where I struggle. As someone who lived through all of that, it's easy to think rock music was going really good and really solid. And then suddenly in 2000, Kid A comes out and that changes things. But the reality is within a year and a half of OK Computer coming out, rock music had largely died anyways and had been taken over by pop music that that the pop boy music, bands yeah yeah also pop, like pop music had taken over the world and so yeah. in some ways i think part of the expectation people had in 2000 when kid a came out was all right radio's here to radiohead is here to save us that yeah. that all right we're, we're gonna get great rock you know we're gonna yeah. get great alternative rock back again yeah take this creed yeah yeah like limp biscuit and creed time time to you know go back to the hole from which you crawled out of Mm-hmm. Radiohead's back to reclaim their throne, right? And in Kid A coming out, I think was so fluent in the face of all of those expectations. Look, there there are a whole bunch of Radiohead fans. There are a whole bunch of Radiohead fans in the '90s for whom Kid A became their off ramp, mm-hmm. and and they and they never followed the band after that. And there are a whole lot of Radiohead fans. Um, that came back just briefly for Hail to the Thief because it felt like a return to that kind of 90s era Radiohead. And then they bounced again very quickly. Um, And I think that not staying with Radiohead the whole time robs you of one of the great bands of the last 50 years. Well, I think that In Rainbows is much more rock integrated than Hail to the Thief also. I, I think because both of us, our instinct was on both of our first lists, 
mm-hmm. that we included OK Computer. I, I think that we should stick with the original instinct and stick with OK Computer. With with the caveat that if 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 you are one of our listeners, know that for us this is it's a coin flip. That this this really we could just as easily have put Kid A on. And not only that, but Brad said when we were talking to him, he thinks that's the right choice. Yeah. And he did validate. Even when we made our favorite list, those were mm-hmm. uh, you know, but but he he agreed, even yeah. though it's not his favorite. Um so we're gonna stick with OK Computer as as our album to put forth on our list. But listener, we're torn on this one. Yeah. And so we we kind of want your feedback. We definitely want your feedback. Reach out to us on Twitter at you forgot one pod, on Instagram at you forgot one, on our website at you forgot one.com. And let us know, did we get this right? Did we get this coin flip right? Landing on OK Computer rather than Kid A. Now I'm exhausted. My brain hurts. Um, I think it would be fair when season one wraps. We, we've talked about doing some bonus episodes. It sounds like we might have to visit Kid A. Because here we are in the end, kind of having a head-to-head talk like we do in our other episodes. Um, but Kid A is not kind of fairly represented. So we might have to have an isolated conversation about that album. and. See at the at the end of season one, truly did we forget one in, in Kid A. So I, I, I'm open if you are to at the end of season one uh doing a bonus episode where we potentially correct our, our decision here. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. That sounds that sounds good to me. Okay. Well, listener, that in mind, we cut now to the creepiest track on OK Computer. Um, for decades, you, you've been writing music that is uh, uneasy and anxious with regards to uh, society, our government, technology, the general direction of the world. <laughs> How does it feel to be right? <laughs> uh, I guess I wasn't thinking about the future. I guess I was, I was looking at what was happening at the time. It just seem to get more obvious I think it's more overt now yes I thought uh, but I, I felt like um, everything I was talking about was was there um, when we wrote uh, the album Hell to the Thief that seemed pretty bad that period of time um, when Bush Jr. got in and then now we're here yeah this is just a, uh, a natural extension of what came before yeah and it seems to spread to our country as well now 